Anyway, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, John and I have known each other for a while. Uh, actually, I've known John since he's, he's come here, um, and, uh, and Megan too. And so just really thankful for what they're doing here, what you guys are doing. Um, obviously, it, it can't happen without you guys. And Sarah Jane, um, just really thankful. Many of you knew Amanda Cunningham. Um, she was a member of our church as well. And Lindsay Chase, some of you know her from last year. Um, I just talked to her dad today, actually. She called when I was there at their house, so she's down in Florida now. And um, she's actually really involved in RUF down there. She's like, that's my lifeline, because she still doesn't have a job, uh, maybe starting next week. And it's RUF that's been keeping her going. So, um, so I'm just really thankful for, uh, for this group. Uh, our church is thankful for you guys. We support RUF. And... Uh, you know, anytime if you guys ever want to come up on a Sunday morning, we'd love to have you, um, even though it's about 30 minutes. So, uh, all right. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself because you, you don't really know me. Um, I don't. I know some of you a little bit, um, but some of you have never seen me before. Um, so, I actually grew up in Vermont. Uh, not a Vermonter because I wasn't born here, um, but when I was really young. We moved to Vermont. Uh, my parents are actually in Jericho, which some of you know where that is. It's not too far from here. And um, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was actually a pastor. And so that provided some, some challenges for me as a kid. Uh, it was a, a blessing to grow up in a Christian home. But at the same time, um, you know, there were some real challenges. Like ever since I was really young, you know, the expectation was we're going to church every Sunday. I remember one day, I don't remember how old I was, but I just told my parents, I'm like, I don't really want to go. Do I have to go? And they're like, yep. <laughs> so uh, our family always sat like right in the front row. And if you, know, if you know anything about being a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid, it's the same way. It's like living in a fishbowl. Everybody is always watching you. And... So I felt that, and I was kind of the rebellious one in my family. Um, it probably started before, but I, I was one of the, the first ones to get a, a motorcycle, and uh, my parents weren't too happy about that, but, um, but they were trying to be, be gracious as well. But I remember sitting in the front row at church, and then as I got older, I started moving back further until I made it up to the balcony, and there's this huge chandelier in the church that I would intentionally sit behind the chandelier so my dad could not see me. And um, actually nobody else in the church could see me because everybody's facing forward. And, uh, but there was one lady who played the piano. It was like in that corner. And some Sundays she would sit there the whole service. And she would be like kind of looking this way, but she could see up where I was. And why that's important is because I would actually sit behind the chandelier on purpose so that I could leave church once he started preaching. I would just leave. And uh, I'd go, there was a general store nearby, and they sold penny candy and stuff like that. So I'd rummage through the trash, finding the recyclable cans. This is all during church. They had no idea. And I would return the cans to the store. And then buy the penny candy. I, I wonder if the owner of the store was like, this is the pastor's kid, you know, that we know church is going on. Anyway, but I thought, I thought, I'm getting away with this. 
big time. Nobody knows because I would, I would then, you know, have all the candy in a paper bag and I'd go back to church before he was done preaching. So when the service ended, I was there. Well, little did I know someone was watching me and it was the lady at the piano. And uh, I think I was about 12 years old, just to give you some context. And downstairs after church, there was a big fellowship hall. We'd have like coffee and cookies and stuff like that. So I just, I went downstairs, you know, doing what I always did after my belly was full of candy. And she came up to me this one day and she said to me, she was kind of like one of those bold in your face type people. Like she wasn't, she didn't care what you thought about her. She was probably in her, I don't know, maybe in her 40s, and she came up to me just bluntly, and she said, it looks to me like you're having trouble worshiping here. And I was just stunned, like, how do you know? And then I started putting two and two together, and she said, maybe it's time for you to find a new place to worship. And I, my mouth just almost hit the floor like, I'm 12 years old. How can I go somewhere else? My dad is the pastor. Like, what in the world? So I, I was speechless, though. I was just stunned. I didn't know what to say. And she was dead serious. She was looking at me with a dead serious face. Anyway, um, I don't think I ever told my parents about that till like, maybe last year, um, even though it was, it was a long time ago. But, but it really got me thinking. Obviously, I've never forgotten it. And the fact that she was bold enough to, to talk. But the key word that she said is maybe it's time for you to find a new place to worship. And that was what really, what she was getting at the heart of it. I wasn't there to worship. I was there because I had to be there. And I didn't want to be there. My parents made me be there. And so I said, well, I'm going to work the system. I'm going to leave when I can. And, you know, I didn't realize the grace that God was giving me by just being in that community. And yet I was just rejecting it. Just saying, you know what? I don't care. I don't want this. Not for me. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that story. Um, I'll tell you what happened that summer to me a little bit later. But I want to look at a story that Jesus tells. I know John, um, John was telling me you guys are going through Luke and just looking at different stories of Jesus. I was here two weeks ago um, when, he was, when he was teaching, and I, thought, I told him, I said, what about Luke 17? So if you want to follow along, um, it's Luke 17, and I'll be reading from verses 11 through 19. This is a story about lepers, and we don't often hear a lot about leprosy today, but it was like a skin condition. My daughter actually has eczema. Um, actually, I'll tell you, I have five kids, so uh, age 15 down to age four. So actually, Willa's age, um, you guys know Willa. We have a son who's four. And um, so our daughter has eczema. It really bothers her mostly in the summer when it gets hotter. She starts itching. And, and uh, that's probably similar to some type of leprosy, although it's more, probably more like a deficiency. If you go over to India today, there are still um, people with leprosy. And it can actually be cured with just a simple medicine that they just don't have access to. <coughs> uh, but it's really debilitating. Um, their, their hands will, will start to... Uh, turn into like clubs. Their fingers even grow into their, their hands. Same with their feet. Sometimes they go blind. And that's probably what was going on with these people that Jesus encountered. So let's just see what, what happens here. Luke 17, verse 11. 
On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that we all have a story. And we see the story of these ten right here. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will give us your help tonight as, as we look into your word. We need you, God. We need your spirit. Uh, we thank you for John, for Megan, for Willa. Uh, we pray that you bless their family as they're away uh, tonight. And uh, God, we thank you. I thank you for each person here and ask that you'll bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we see in here is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So if you think about, um, if you think there's a, like a map up here, Jerusalem would actually be down here. Um, Galilee would be way up here in the north, and Samaria was in the middle. So they had to go, Jesus is going from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and Samaria is in the middle. Now, the thing about Samaria is uh, the Samaritans lived there, and the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They actually felt like they were half-breeds, they were unclean, um, they worshipped in a different way, they didn't keep all the customs. The Jews, they hated them so much that if you were in Galilee and you had to get to Jerusalem, they would actually, instead of going like straight down, they would go all the way around and come back in. It would take a lot longer. So it's like if you were going to come up to St. Albans, instead of hopping on 89 and going 30 minutes north, you would actually take the ferry over to New York, drive up through New York, and come across the Rouses Point Bridge down into St. Albans. It would take you like an hour and a half, maybe two hours to do that. But you, you hate those, the people in Milton so much that you can't actually drive through Milton in Georgia. So, and, and that's the way it was. But here is Jesus... Right? Jesus is there. He's coming down. And he's interacting with some of these places. And he, it says as he's entering a village, he was met by ten lepers. And so it's significant that he's, he's meeting them outside the village. Because they actually weren't allowed in the village. Because they had these skin conditions, people thought they were contagious. They were unclean. We don't want to be around you. They actually had to live outside the village. They probably had torn clothes. And they had to actually call out and cry out, uh, unclean. Imagine that. If you had to walk around campus calling out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And people would be like, uh, don't go near that person. Um, we know that because in Leviticus, um, earlier in the, the Old Testament, listen, this is what it says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! 
He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Think about how isolating that would be. Like if there is a section of UVM that was like outside the main campus where all these people with the disease lived and they had to walk around calling unclean, um, you would learn to just avoid them. And that's what happened with people here. They lived alone. Um, They were desperate. And there's ten of them. They're standing at a distance, it says. They lift up their voices. But instead of calling out unclean, they're actually calling to Jesus for mercy. Right? Um, These people are rejected. Uh, About 20 years ago, I actually went to India. And we visited a leper colony. And it was outside of the city. And uh, the people who lived there had leprosy. Their children lived there with them, but their children didn't have the disease, a lot of them. But even just because they were related to them, like if they went into the city to try to get a job, they would be rejected. They would be like, nope, you can't come here. You have to go back to where you lived. So it was really isolating um, for them. And, you know, if we think about rejection, maybe it's not like a disease that we've had, but we've all experienced rejection. We know that it's painful. We know what it feels like. Um, it's, not, it's not fun. Maybe you felt it in your family where you're the different one and your family's like, I don't understand what you're doing. Or maybe it's for what you believe. Um, I'll tell you, if anybody here has ever been in a relationship, which all of you have, and I have too, because that's what we, we live in relationship with each other, you've experienced rejection. And uh, it's painful. Sometimes you may feel like um, you're, you know, you're not walking around like calling out unclean, but you feel that way. You feel alone. And that's what these people were feeling. And uh, they, maybe they heard about Jesus. Hey, Jesus is coming. Maybe he's our last hope. You know, maybe we can call out to him and he'll, he'll help us. And so they've got nothing to lose, right? So they're calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. One thing I think that's uh, interesting is there are most likely Jews and Samaritans both in this group. Uh, We are told the one who came back was a Samaritan, but I think there's other Jews because he says, go show yourselves to the priest, and the priests were Jewish. And so for them to go um, was a natural thing. The way that that would work, the priest was like a public health inspector. So if you thought, hey, I don't have leprosy anymore, then you would go to the priest and you would be inspected. Now that's humbling in itself, right? It's like going to the doctors. Let me see if you have the disease. If they thought, okay, you don't have the disease anymore, they would tell you, wait seven days. And if it doesn't come back, then you're clear to go. Uh, But you have to wait these seven days and you have to bring an offering. You have to give me some money or pay, pay something. And they would actually sprinkle blood on you, blood of animals. Uh, It sounds kind of gross. But that was the way they would cleanse you to be let back into the community. And then you could live back in the city. So it was this whole process that you had to go through. And uh, here's Jesus. Um, you You might wonder, like, why didn't Jesus just heal them? Why didn't he just, like, maybe put his hands on them and say, okay, you're all healed. Go back to your life. See, that actually, he couldn't just do that. I mean, he could do that, but 
he wanted them to actually go to the priest because that was he was following the laws. He wasn't trying to circumvent anything. But he also wants to see what are they going to do. Jesus is speaking here. Go show yourselves to the priest. What are they going to do? Are they going to believe him enough to actually do it? Or are they just going to be like, this guy, I mean, I thought he was going to like do this magic thing and whatever, and I would be like all clean. But he doesn't. Um, he says something really simple. Go show yourself to the priest. If you believe that I can heal you, then you will go. And that's what actually, um, look what it says. As they went, they were cleansed. So they couldn't just stand there and be like, hmm, I'm going to wait for you to heal me until I move. No, he said, go. And so they had to start taking steps to go to the priest. And that, at that point, they were healed. I think that's a good reminder to us that when God calls us to follow him, we could just simply stand here and be like, you know what? I'm going to wait for him to come to me. I'm going to wait for him to um, do something in my life. When actually, oftentimes, we need to take the step. We need to step out in faith, right? And that's when he's working. I think Jesus said, go to yourself to the priest, to actually see, are they really going to follow what I say? Are they really engaged? And they start walking. <clears throat> well, what happens next? Jesus uh, showed them mercy but look at uh, verse 15 said, then one of them, when he saw he was healed, so he must have just started taking steps and then like, and he stops in his tracks and he turns around. I don't know, maybe he got like a half a mile down the road. You know, who knows? We don't know how far it was, but it just says one of them, when he saw he was healed, he turned back and he's praising God with a loud voice. He wasn't just like, Going to the priest, and then he's like, oh, I'm healed. Oh, glad that's over. Uh, let me get on with my life. He actually realized this guy, whose name is Jesus, he just made me clean. He just completely healed me. This guy must be from God. And this guy is God. I'm going to go back, and he's praising God with this loud voice. Um, if you saw someone walking across campus praising God in a loud voice, we'd probably think, like, there might be something wrong with this person. Um, that's just not in our culture. Like, we don't go often praising with a loud voice God anyway. We, maybe if, like, um, your favorite sports team won. By the way, last night of the World Series is tonight, so I don't know who anybody's rooting for, but whoever wins tonight takes it all. I bet there will be some loud praising. <laughs> And so we praise, like, sports things, we, we maybe shout. Um, I remember actually being in college. My roommate was a uh, hardcore Minnesota Vikings fan because that's where he was from. And he would get up and he'd get in the TV space and be, like, yelling at the TV. I was like, this guy needs to calm down. <laughs> I mean, you, like, you didn't want to be around him during a game because you never knew what was going to happen. Um, anyway, this guy... He's coming back. He's praising God with a loud voice. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I think the, the important thing that we can take from this is we can be cleaned on the outside, but actually not really be cleaned. We can be healed from whatever situation we're in, right? 
but actually our heart isn't changed. And I think about these other people who, you know, who were healed. There are ten of them. Nine of them, they saw they were healed, they kept going, I'm going to the priest, let's get on with our life. Uh, And I think sometimes we approach life like that. Like, if I can just get through my time here at UBM. If I can just get through this situation that I'm in. I mean, I think about that sometimes. Stuff of the church. If I can just make it through this issue. You know, and that's good, right? We want to get through things. But we want to actually be changed. Um, We can go through life saying, I'm just going to get through the next thing and not actually be changed. um, In the inside. So, and you might say, well, wait a second. They obeyed Jesus. They did what he said. And I would say, yes, they did. But they didn't realize that he was the one who was the real priest. He was the one who could actually cleanse them in a deeper way. Because think about this. Um, The Pharisees, right, the religious leaders, they obeyed all these laws. Um, Or like, think about me as a pastor's kid, right? I went to church and I made sure I was back at church before it ended, right? Okay, so maybe I wasn't obeying all the stuff there. But I was trying to follow, you know, what my parents wanted me to do. But guess what? My heart? I didn't want to be there. I wanted to leave. I couldn't wait to get up and get that candy. God wants your hearts. He wants your affections. Um, He doesn't just look for your outside of your life to be clean. And, I mean, yeah, the ten were healed. But only one seems to have had a, a changed heart. Um, Because in verse 19, Jesus says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So he had faith that was deeper than, I'm just going to get on with my life. He had faith that said, there's something about this man, Jesus, that I'm going to go back and worship. Um, You know, some people read this passage and are like, man, I've got this physical issue. Maybe Jesus can heal me too. Or I've got these things going on. Maybe Jesus can like do a miracle in my life. And Jesus can do that. But if we just use him to get what we want, we're actually missing the point. I mean, Jesus is a healer, right? He did this miracle. I mean, think about Lazarus. Remember Lazarus who died? One of Jesus' friends, he died. He got sick and died. And his sisters came running and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus actually raised him from the dead. He called him out of the tomb. But have you ever thought about this? Lazarus actually died again. Right? He rose him from the dead. But he still died again. Later on, maybe old age. These people were healed of their leprosy. But they eventually died. Right? Just like all of us. So there's a deeper healing that Jesus is getting at. And it's not just the outward. It's the inward, too. So whenever you see a miracle in the Bible from Jesus, some people focus on the miracle, and they get all wrapped up in, like, can you believe he did that? Which, it is amazing. But Jesus' miracles always point to who he is and what he came to do. There's a deeper meaning there. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, that was like an amazing miracle. What do you think Jesus was trying to get at? You guys can, anybody can say it out. What do you think he was trying to get at? Anybody have a guess? What was he trying to show? 
he rose Lazarus from the dead. Any thoughts? There's no wrong answers. I mean, one of the things I think about is he was actually showing what he was going to do a couple weeks later, or actually a few days later. Um, He was going to rise from the dead himself. He was showing who he was. Like, he was showing, I have power to raise this guy from the dead. That's incredible, right? But he's saying that the deeper lesson is, I can raise you from the dead spiritually. I can make your heart that is dead alive. And he's saying with these lepers, like you're, you're dirty on the outside, society thinks you're unclean. I can cleanse you on the outside, yes, but I can do a bigger cleansing on the inside. I can make your heart new. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. <clears throat> so if we think about that with our own lives, like who would we be in this story? Um, well, we're definitely not Jesus. We're probably, I mean, we can identify with the lepers, right? We've all been rejected in some way or another. Um, the Bible talks about we have disease in our heart. Uh, not like heart disease, but spiritual heart disease. Um, Romans 3 says everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's um, glory. Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are desperately sick, right? Because Adam and Eve, they fell, they chose to do whatever they wanted. Um, The sickness came into the world, and it came into our hearts as well. Um, Isaiah 53 says we all like sheep have turned astray. We've followed our own way. And I came across a verse um, a couple weeks ago. It's Ecclesiastes 7.20. It says this, Surely there is not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. So we all do good things, right? But none of us can say, like, I've never, ever sinned in my life. I've never done anything against God or against other people. Um, I can't say that, and I'm a pastor. Um, Sometimes pastors are the worst. So, or pastors' kids especially. I mean, they're actually known for being, like, really rebellious. And so I think what, what um, we need to learn here is that all of us are outcasts. All of us are rejected because we've all sinned. We are the lepers. We're, we're the ones who need to be healed. We're the ones who need to be cleansed. And along comes Jesus. And what does he do? He's coming into this village. The lepers cry out to him. And it says, he saw them. Jesus sees you. He sees you. If you feel rejected, if you feel alone, you feel like there's, you know what, I, I feel like I'm one of these lepers, um, or he could never forgive me for, for what has been done to me, or what I've done. It says he saw them, and he has compassion, and he heals. Not just so they can get on with their life, because that's like using Jesus as a vending machine, Like, oh, I'm going to put my money in, I'm going to push this button, and I'm going to get what I want out of it. Jesus is much deeper than that. Uh, It's so that they'll return and worship him as God. So I just think about, you know, what can we take from this? Um, Three things that I think we can take. That true belief, true change, we see three things happening here. 
Number one, we see is turning away from ourselves. Um, it says this guy, this one guy, he turned back. And the word repentance actually in the Greek means metanoia. That's what the word is. Meta is change, like metamorphosis. Noia is mind, or knowing. So it's change of mind. So whenever you're heading in one direction, um, say I'm heading this way, this is what I'm doing, stop in my tracks, and I turn away from what I'm doing. Right? That's repentance. I'm turning from myself, from my agenda. I'm going to the priest. I'm going to get healed. I'm going to get on with my life. And this guy stops and he turns. We actually can't turn around unless God opens our eyes to see that we need him. And uh, to see that we need his mercy. And so this turning here, the other nine, they don't turn. They just keep going. They want to re-enter their comfort. I just want an easy life. I want to be back with my family. I don't want to be this reject outside the town. I don't want to be this weird person who's got torn clothes and long hair and have to call out unclean. I mean, none of us want that, right? And yet, this one guy turns around. He sees deeper. So if you turn away from something, you're always turning to something else. So actually, these these other lepers, they were turning away from their leprosy, right? I'm going to follow what Jesus says. I'm going to go to the priest and be healed. And so now they're turning to the priest, right? Turning back to their their life where they can be healed and cleaned. Like, that's not a bad thing. But they're missing out on the greater thing. So whenever we turn from ourselves, what are you turning to? See, there's a lot of self-help stuff like five steps to this or ten steps to that. Um, Some of those things can be really helpful. But when we turn away from ourselves, we're always turning to something else or to someone else. And here's the thing that he does. He turns to God. He turns to Jesus. And he comes back to Jesus. Um, He comes with a loud voice, right? I mean, you can hear this guy coming. Uh, You can't shut him up, actually. He's so excited about what Jesus did. He's just praising him. And then what does he do? It says he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. It was probably something like this. You know, Jesus' feet are over here. And he's just falling on his face saying, Thank you, thank you, you are God. Or whatever he's saying, he's just praising him, right? It's a little strange. I mean, Jesus doesn't tell him to be quiet. He doesn't say, calm down, calm down. No, he actually, he, he asks some questions. Where's the, where are the other ones? Wait, didn't I, didn't I heal ten? Where are the other nine? Is the only one who returned and gave praise to God this foreigner? Now, the people that he's telling the story to, they would be shocked that it was a Samaritan who is the one who came back. They're like, no, we are God's people. We are the ones that that are supposed to be healed. We're the ones that are supposed to have God's blessing. And yet this foreigner was the one who got it, who, who realized. Well, that's the beauty of Jesus. He comes for the reject. He comes for the outcast. He comes for the foreigner. He comes for the sick. 
the unclean. And if we take a good look at ourselves, that's us. That's us. Well, I told you a little bit about my story um, that summer after that lady confronted me. It's actually a pretty cool story what happened um, later on. But I'll tell you, first of all, what happened that summer. I actually went to summer camp, and I don't know if my parents were like, we don't know what to do with this kid, just send him off to camp. Um, I went to camp over in New York State, a uh, camp called Word of Life, maybe some of you know about Word of Life, and um, I had never been there before. I was 12, and I was staying in this cabin with all these other guys and, you know, a bunch of 12-year-olds. Uh, what a week that would be, right? Anyway, we had chapel that we went to each night, and I remember going to the chapel your day or night, and, and this guy got up and he started speaking about Revelation, the last book of the Bible, about Jesus coming back again. And he said, he, w- he was just passionate and on fire. He said, hey, when I wake up in the morning, and I look outside, and I see the sky, and I see clouds, I get excited. But if I see clear blue sky, no clouds in the sky, I get discouraged. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> like, clearly he does not live in Vermont. <laughs> but he said, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming on a cloud. So I want to see clouds when I wake up. Maybe this is the day that he's coming again. Are you ready for him to come again? And I was sitting there as a 12-year-old thinking, like, I am not ready for him to come again. <laughs> I mean, here I am, a pastor's kid, and I'm leaving church, I'm eating candy, shoving my face, and then I get confronted with this lady. I mean, my whole life was like spinning, but that really grabbed me, what he said, and I thought, you know what, I'm not ready for him to come again, and if he does come again, I may be in trouble. And so, so that, uh, that day, I, uh, I prayed to receive Christ, that I wanted him to be my Savior and Lord. And I'll tell you what, I went back to church, and it wasn't like all of a sudden I was a new person. It was a long, long period of God working on me, showing me, you need me, I forgive you, I'm restoring you, um, come and to worship me. The cool thing is that lady who confronted me, when I got married, um, she offered her house for my wife and I to live in. That was the first place that we lived. And she said, you don't have to pay any rent. All you have to pay is just cover the, the utilities and the, the taxes, whatever they were. So it was super cheap. And I thought, what a cool story that this lady who confronted me years ago when I was 12, now I'm like 23, um, and I'm living in her house almost for free. So, God, you know, that's God's mercy to me. And God does that for you, too. Uh, there are stories like that where God is patient. You know, he, he shows us who he is, and he sent Jesus to confront and to, to help and have mercy on those who are rejected. The amazing thing is, is that Jesus actually became the outcast for us. Because what did he do on the cross? He said, I will take your rejection. I will take your leprosy. I will take the the stuff in your heart, in your life, stuff that you've done, stuff that's been done to you, right? We've all we've all sinned, we've also been sinned against. People have harmed us. And Jesus said, I will take that to the cross, and I'm gonna become rejected so that you can actually be made clean and accepted. Uh, remember on the cross, Jesus is hanging there, and he says, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's God's rejecting him because of our sin. But he didn't just leave us with nothing. He gave us his perfect life. So that when God looks at you, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, God looks at you as though you had never sinned. He looks at you with all the righteous, the perfect life that Jesus had. I think that's incredible. Um, I sometimes I use this illustration. Um, I guess we could use we could use a phone too, but let's just say um, you know here's here's our life, right? Say on this phone is everything I've ever done, good and bad, and it's on this phone. And so Jesus uh, sees that, and this in this hand is this is what I, all the things that Jesus has ever done. Right? Everything's perfect. He never sinned. Never did anything wrong. What does he do for me when I receive him? He says, I will take everything you've done, good and bad, and I'm going to take it to the cross. What am I left with? Nothing. And that's a lot of people say, like, Jesus died for my sins. It's like, that's only half the story. Because what did he do? He said, I will not only take your sin, but I will give you Everything I have ever done, all my perfection is yours. And this is how God looks at you. I think that's incredible that he would actually do that. He became rejected so that you could be cleansed. And so I just want to encourage you that there is forgiveness. Whatever you have done or has been done to you, it can be forgiven. And it's forgiven through Jesus. Interestingly, they would sprinkle the the lepers with blood. What did Jesus do on the cross? He shed his blood so that we're cleansed. We actually sang nothing but the blood, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what we see here. So I'll close with this. Um, Just a few points here in, in my thoughts and conclusion. Number one, we can get so focused on external life that we actually miss the point of life altogether. We can get so focused saying, you know what, I just want to get through this mess that I'm in. I just want to be cleansed. I just want to make it. I just want to get out of this difficult situation. And then we're like, glad that's over. I can get on with life now. When actually Jesus is trying to get your attention to say, come to me. Look at me. I'm the priest. I can heal you. I will pronounce you clean. Number two, we can look clean on the outside and yet still be unclean in our hearts. Jesus is after your heart. You can do everything you want to live a good life, and it still won't be good enough, right? I remember this, this one lady, when I first became a pastor, I asked her, do you know for sure, if you were to die, she was old, um, she was probably in her 70s, uh, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure where you'd spend eternity? Oh, yes, oh, yes. And so then I asked her the second question. So if you were to die, today and came before God's gate at heaven and God was standing on one side and you're standing on the other and he said why should I let you in? She looked at me and she said oh because I've gone to church all my life I've been a really good person I've been a really good Presbyterian and my heart just sank because that's not good enough right? I mean you think about if I'm making scrambled eggs my daughter made scrambled eggs this morning um, she's getting to the point, uh, this is our 11-year-old. She's to the point where she can make it herself. 
what happens if you, like, she's cracking eggs in the bowl, and she cracks one in, and it's all black and rotten? Should she just take a spoon and, like, try to fish it out? It's like, no, you got to toss the, the bowl and start over. But you know what so many people do? They say, well, it, my one sin that I've done is like that, that rotten egg. You know what I'm going to do instead? I'm just going to keep cracking eggs in. And I'm going to do more and more good things to, like, cancel out the bad with these silly things. No, there's rot in there, right? But that's what we do with our lives. We say, well, if I've done something bad, I'll just do a lot of good things to make up for it. We just can't do it. We need Jesus. Uh, Number three, we can follow outward rules all our lives and never come to Jesus for cleansing. It's like me growing up as a pastor's kid. I could do all the right things. I could sit in that pew, like, really still. And I remember one time I was taking communion, the Lord's Supper, and, you know, I mean, I was young. I took the bread. I started, like, rolling it into a ball and all the stuff. My grandfather was sitting next to me. He was not happy. He was like, this is sacrilegious or what? He didn't say anything. All he did was he put out his hand like this. <laughs> and he made me put the, the bread in his hand. He took it and wouldn't give it to me. You know, these moments that just stick in our, our minds. But we can do all the right things and still be dirty on the inside. Number four, this is a great one. Salvation comes to unlikely people. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked. Like, what? They're here? Um, Just like the Jews here were like, what? The Samaritan? I can't believe it. But Jesus comes for those who are sick. The unlikely. Um, It would have surprised them. And the last thing is giving glory and wholehearted worship to God is Jesus' greatest purpose and being on this earth. And it should be our purpose as well. So I just want to ask you one question in closing. What will you do with Jesus' mercy? We're the sick ones. We're the lepers. We can call out to him, have mercy upon us. What will you do with his mercy? Will you take it and be like, thank you, Jesus, now I can get on with my life? Or will will you take it and then come back and give him praise and just bow before his feet saying, you are God. Well, let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. You are incredible uh, by sending your son who came for lepers like us. God, we, we can't get rid of our leprosy. We can't get rid of our sin. But you can. And so I pray for each person here tonight that they would put their trust and their faith in you. They can say, you know what, I'm tired of my, my stuff um, and I need to be cleansed. And Jesus, you can cleanse even the dirtiest person, the dirtiest heart, um, whether it's from our own doing or from other people's doing to us. We thank you that we have a Savior in you. We thank you that you are merciful. And I pray that, uh, that we having experienced mercy, would go and then show it to others. And that we would praise you with our lives like this foreigner did. So I thank you. Thank you for this night, Lord. I pray that you bless these students. Um, bless them. Bless them and their families, their friendships, their relationships. Uh, but most of all, Lord, their relationship with you. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name.